Just where are China and the United States on that phase one trade agreement? And where does this administration go next? Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a weekly podcast that looks at agriculture issues across the country. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. We're keeping it simple this episode and focusing on one topic, global trade. Jackie Fatka, policy editor for Farm Progress, has been listening to a lot of discussions surrounding the work of trade ambassador Catherine Tai, as well as insights from other experts. The conversation looks at how phase one is faring and what might be ahead for the future. Let's get Jackie's perspective. Jackie, welcome to Around Farm Progress. Great talking with you, Willie. Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. I just, <laughs> you know, me and policy don't always get along very well together, but you are covering some interesting areas of policy, especially policy impacting agriculture. And I think the area that's probably the hottest on a lot of people's minds these days is probably trade, uh, especially and significantly trade with China. They bought a lot of stuff in the last few months, but there are some things on that front you've been kind of covering this week. Can you recap some of what you've been talking about? Yeah, so this week, the U.S. Trade Ambassador Catherine Tai gave a pretty substantial speech on where she sees things going forward with China, which obviously every farmer is very aware of what we saw the last four years with China and really trying to take them head on. But that also brought a lot of tariffs at farmers way. Um, But you know, partway through the Trump administration, they were able to complete the what we all call the phase one China negotiations, which included a lot of purchase agreements and market uh, market required purchases for that have benefited producers. Yeah, it has. I mean, the, uh, it's it's a lot of bushels is all I remember. Big numbers, big numbers. We haven't hit those numbers, though. Wasn't uh, Ambassador Tai talking about that, that the Chinese may miss those targets this year? So, you know, this went into effect in early 2020, and we all know what happened in 2020. Uh, a, a pretty big shutdown of the world occurred. And so that phase one was a, a pretty much a two-year promise of $80 billion of ag purchases. We're actually only $5 billion short of that. And so I think for a lot of people, being only $5 billion short feels pretty good. Uh, I think a lot of people wondered at the start, could we even do that? Because it was so much more than what we had done previously. Uh, but obviously, China's buying a lot of our corn. Uh, and actually, in Farm Futures, I just, uh, the next print issue, and we've got the story online now, too. But, you know, China's going to be around for a while with our with with buying corn, whether there's a phase one agreement or not. But it's kind of nice to have that requirement to to kind of push and incentivize that they should make more ag purchases. Now, will we see kind of an increase here in the next couple of months to try to abide by that? I think that could be interesting now. You know, it's October. We've got two. This is a calendar year, uh, phase one. So, yeah, you mentioned January 1, 2022. So what we see here in the next couple of months, we might we might see some increased purchases for them to kind of say, hey, look, we, we held up at least this part of our bargain. But on the other side of just market purchases, you know, something that Secretary Vilsack has made a lot of comments about is that there were a lot of sanitary and phytosanitary, those regulatory things that kind of get deeper in the weeds. And of the 57 that were promised in this phase one, 
China did 50, but seven remain. And one of those big ones is biotech approvals, which is a big deal for farmers of being able to make sure that the biotech traits that we have approved here have the same access and, and ability to be imported into China. That's really important because I believe there are a couple of corn traits that aren't approved. Yep. But the other side of that is corn was a new product for China. They were mostly a soybean customer until this came around the last two years. And it's been fantastic. And you're right. I think they're going to need that corn next year because I don't think they're raising enough for what they want to do as they rebuild their swine herds. They need the protein, but they also need the energy for other things they're doing. So when you look at that, and we, we you mentioned January 1, 2022, after that date, there's no purchase requirements in phase one. You don't think it'll drop off? Nobody can predict what China right. will do. I think we've all learned that. Um, but, you know, Greg Dowd, who was the chief ag negotiator during the Trump negotiation and was in a lot of those phase one discussions, uh, feels really good about a lot of the regulatory changes that have been made. So just being able to have the facilities here uh, approved to export to China and just some of the nuanced things farmers don't even know about, but mm -hmm. they're they're done. And so there there is some of that stuff that has been achieved within phase one. Now, I think when we hear phase one, we think, oh, there's a phase two. Right. Yeah. I think that was definitely the plan of Trump to have a phase two. What we heard out of Ambassador Tai this week is that the Biden administration does not see this as a phase two and, and also really they're not negotiations, they're just discussions. So they are looking to hold China uh, accountable for what they promised. And if there's things that are not completed within that phase one, whether that's the, you know, ag has, there was not just ag market purchases, there were also right. other categories that were included. So ag has done fairly well, but the other market promises that China made have have fallen short even more so than ag. So ag was kind of an easy one, right? So, um, so there's a lot for the Biden administration to kind of still go to China and say, okay, well, you didn't hold up your end of the deal. Now, how they push and how hard they push, you know, I think that will be important to watch. Obviously, Trump didn't mince words. He didn't have any problem sacrificing it all in some ways, right? Because he really was like, fine, you put your tariffs on. I mean, it was it was um, full force of what what Trump did when he decided to take on China. And, and interesting, a lot of farmers really were willing to support that. You know, they were willing to take these huge market losses in that interim because they really thought that that would fix some of those problems with China. Problem is, we haven't really seen those problems even getting fixed. Even after we lost a lot of markets, we had to pay a lot of trade mitigation payments to farmers. And even with these these new markets that have been strong and helped boost prices for farmers, there's still some issues. So it's China. It's I, you know, I, I think everyone had thought, well, maybe we can hold them to the fire and get them to change how we want them to change. And I think bottom line is China doesn't play by the same rules and they probably it, it's gonna take a lot for them to 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 play by the same rules and, and maybe they never will. Yeah, I know that there's also some talk that uh, we were unilateral with phase one. Um, we weren't, we didn't have any other trading partners in there with us, which is fine, it, it worked. We still don't have the intellectual property protection we're looking for, I get that. But phase two, if we do anything like a phase two, I think there's a lot of talk that uh, Ambassador Tai may be um, engaging other allies in the region, Japan, Australia, maybe others, 
so that we're not going it alone on any kind of, I hate to use the word phase two, but any second step in this process. You know, I think, uh, and and as I said, she does not want a phase two. I don't think they want to have anything uh, of that sort, but they're definitely looking to build allies, building other people to come alongside of them. Because a lot of people are upset with how China is. You know, when China came into the W2O, uh, everybody agreed that they would play by the same rules. The reality is, is that they have it. And so uh, I think there's a lot of people who supported U.S. actions when Trump took on China, but also, you know, maybe now um, kind of this more return to a more allied approach of working together with other like-minded countries who have similar concerns with how China is operating. Okay, that's interesting. I mean, from that standpoint, it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. Back domestically, there's a bill that's been moved on the House that would limit the ability for the president to enforce tariffs based on defense. The trick used to put tariffs on certain crops um, under the Trump administration was that it was a defensive move, right? It was uh, was a, a strategic defense, right, to protect our assets. And this bill would limit that. Have you followed that at all? Do you see that? Yeah. So another story that is on our website for folks Mm -hmm. who are interested, and this is actually something that was first introduced in 2019, uh, and and it's guised under the national security tariffs, right? So Section 232, you know, we hear a lot about Section 232. We really really don't have any idea what the common person doesn't really understand it. But when you talk about steel and aluminum, that's what 232 those tariffs were allowed under the Section 232 of a a bill that was first passed in the 70s. And this was to protect the natural interest. And so there's been a lot of concerns that some of these tariffs can just be put up and Congress is quickly kind of being taken out of some of these discussions on tariffs. And when you look back at the Trump administration, minus USMCA, which did have congressional approval, a lot of the actions that were taken by this administration were from the executive branch and had no input from Congress. And there's a lot of folks who really see that Congress needs to have a more integral role in determining whether those tariffs are actually justified and not just have some report come out of USTR and and basically give some stamp of approval just so they can do what they were already wanting to do. And so this is um, in in the Senate right now reintroduced by some of the same players who did it before. And I I think, will it go anywhere? I mean, we see a lot of bills introduced, but if we start to see a lot of, you know, right now there's some discussion about trying to put some more tariffs on some of those rare metals that are needed for electric batteries and, you know, what was some of the different issues that we have, you know, a couple of years ago, but, but farmers know firsthand what those steel and aluminum tariffs did. We think that they are impacting those other countries like China, but it's actually hurting our own producers. And so, You know, I think that's why you're seeing some of the congressional members step up because they're starting to hear from their constituents what that impact means, what that means for that bin that a farmer is trying to put up. It's it's obviously much more expensive now and the costs continue to go up. And so things that may have good intentions sometimes have unattended consequences that are actually much more harmful than than the cost itself. And so the I think Congress wants to have a greater say in that. And if we have more, you know, what that was going back to what Ty said, Ambassador Ty, she said, 
she's willing to look at more tariffs and maybe create new tools for the toolbox. And so I think they feel like they haven't been able to address some of the things that China has done. And so will they use new tariffs, something that Trump tried to do with the 232 steel and aluminum? Could they expand that to other things and and put more pressure to try to build up U.S. sectors, which on the surface seems good, but can have really harmful unattended consequences? Well, yeah, and I think that's something to think about, too. To think that the country is paying the tariff is inaccurate. Mm-hmm. The country that buys the stuff from the country that has the tariff pays the bill and that has limited steel supplies. And I've already heard some horror stories on bins, including from some family members. So it's yeah. not great. And part of that's the supply issue. But the other part of it is the tariff crimped supply. Yeah, so it yeah. all pay, plays together. I'm not a fan of tariffs. I think that the market should be free, but I understand that bad actors need some sort of punishment. So it's just figuring out the right approach. I will be interested to see what might be added to the toolbox by Ambassador Ty. We'll have to keep an eye on that. That's for sure. Jackie, it's always a good time to talk to you. I think that the uh, concept of trade is always a big issue for farmers. We watch that every day because any trade news can raise or lower the price of whatever I'm trying to sell by 25 to 50 cents anymore. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. follow the market. So keep covering it and keep us posted. And thanks for your time today. Have a great day. Great talking with you, Willie. Thanks to Jackie Packup for her insights. I know I started this episode with a chuckle, and that's due in part to the fact that I leave farm policy to folks like Jackie. I'll just stick to covering ag technology. But thanks to Jackie for her continued policy coverage and sharing that in this episode. Trade issues are often complicated. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional brands as well as farm futures, beef, national hog farmer and feedstuffs, and the just finished Farm Progress show and Husker Harvest Days. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.